Hello and welcome to Quick Link Podcast. Today I am, well, it's one of the rare opportunities for me uh, to actually interview someone I've raced. Um, so today I'm joined by a star of the Arkea Zamzik team. It's Dan McClay. How are you? Good, thank you. Uh, yeah, good to be here and uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, I say it's rare because there's not many riders who are pros who have raced um this is like i always use yourself and then the the yates brothers as my examples um and when i was doing my research last night i actually found out you're born literally the day after me um which is why we raced as juniors because literally the same age um so yeah i guess first thing is like how how did you get into cycling yeah, actually, so, yeah, my dad was racing a little bit, um, as he has done his whole uh, whole life, and, and yeah, I got in kind of that way. Um, I think I just tagged along, tagged along to some races he was going, and I just learned to ride my bike and ended up, like, uh, you know, just jumping in at, like, a really club level from a pretty, pretty early age, and... Uh, kind of not being the only thing I did when I was a kid but yeah I've been I've been kind of racing forever what was the other things then that you did um I guess like all kids like I've kicked the football around but not not too much um a little bit of rugby a bit of swimming when I was younger and um and yeah I've I've like dabbled in everything like a little bit of athletics here and there and those kind of things yeah and I guess then like at what point did you go I want this to be my my career, my livelihood. It, I want you know to be a racer. I actually think that kind of crossed my mind pretty early on as like a young kid. But obviously, obviously, you don't know what it involves exactly. Then you just think, oh, that's cool, and I like you know watching the racing on TV and all that kind of stuff. And then I probably had more doubts as a as I got uh, got older rather than uh, rather than the other way around. If that make if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, it's really interesting, like, because it, I guess even at junior level, you probably start to go, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. Or you start to realise, as, as I did, that maybe you're not as good at this as you think you are. Um, when, like, yeah, do, going out of the juniors and into under 23, did you think, yeah, this is definitely me. And and what sort of team started calling? I mean, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, I think I was a big kid, so that obviously helps in the in the younger categories. And then, um, yeah, I mean, with like probably like moderate moderate amounts of talent, like enough to enough to be good, but like you know, um, being big obviously helped as a helped as a younger kid, and then. It's pretty good in the juniors, having a good time. Like pretty much, pretty much, I guess everyone who who goes through is is kind of reasonable as a junior. And then, um, yeah, I kind of had the option at the end of end of being a junior if I stuck around for like the kind of academy academy years, or um, or I took a step over to, to Belgium and with the Lotto under twenty three under twenty three team, and I chose to to go with the, the Belgium route. Yeah, and how do you like? What made you go for the the Belgian route versus 
like maybe going to the academy or or any other option that was available to you? Yeah, I mean, I I'd, I'd always be raced well when I was in Belgium. Obviously, you know, like cause I hadn't raced all over the all over the place to see like every every side of the coin, but um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I'd like I like the racing in Belgium and. That was on the table from like uh, quite early on, and and that year the academy was a bit up in the air as well. It was like, was it going to be based abroad or back in the UK, and who was going to be the coach and these kind of things? And uh, and yeah, so yeah, it was a bit more solid, and and you know, um, there was yeah, I guess uh, I can say it straight that like there was a certain possibility that someone was going to be the coach and on the academy, and that's I didn't really want to be involved in that. No, and that's fair enough. Like, yeah, I guess and, uh, I think the uncertainty was also the thing. You know, like I had. You also would assume you can be on the academy, but you also had to wait till October or September or October. I don't know to find out. And you're like, what do you do for a team if you if you don't know at that point? Yeah, of course. I think that does show quite a bit of maturity to know that you're not going to vibe with that particular person. To go, I don't want to be in that situation, and and take a different route. And I think that's great that you had the option and since then you've moved to, um, you're with the Breton team. I can't remember what their, their yeah. sponsor team at that point was called. Breton, um, the first year uh, I was in that. But I mean, that's the same team I'm actually in now. It's just uh, obviously gone through uh, sponsors and, and so on. Oh, I did, to be honest, I'd, I'd had kind of lapsed as a fan, so I didn't realise that's technically the same team, and that's awesome that it's kind of grown from from Pro Conti up to, to World Tour now. Um, what kind of made, your, made you choose a French teams? I mean, at that point, coming leaving under 23, uh, that was my only choice at that point. I'd had, I'd had pretty good results in my last year, but... Um... And actually throughout, but maybe not like uh, maybe not one killer season. Um, and yeah, that was that was kind of my only option at that point. Oh wow, I didn't even realise. Gosh. Um, and then uh, there's one actual clip of you. I don't know. I assume you're aware of it um, from you sprinting at the the GP de Dana, um, where you kind of I don't know. Like you just come through like a rocket's on you because you just pass everyone sat down and you don't even do your sprint proper you know you're not out of the saddle until you're practically at the front anyway um is that something you remember quite vividly or is that kind of just through people recounting that there's that clip online yeah i mean i've seen the clip i mean at the at the time at the time in the race, I didn't realize it was obviously so ridiculous. I just thought I'd like, you know, like uh, duck through a couple of holes and popped out. Because I think like if you watch the clip slowly, the gaps are kind of big and then they close up as I'm going through them and it looks a bit tighter than maybe maybe it is. At the same time, I don't think it's it's something which pans out that often that, you know, all three holes in a row open up for you. But uh, yeah, I mean, a bit of context is it's like a slightly slightly false flat downhill finish and the speeds were pretty high and obviously if you come if you kind of in the pocket you you get a pretty good run sometimes like you can see also on the other side i think someone else is getting a run and then they get 
they get squeezed on the barriers and it, it closes up for them as well. So, um, yeah, I kind of, I remember it kind of like the general situation of I wasn't having a great start to the year and I was under a little bit of pressure from the team and it was kind of my last race before a bit of a bit of a break and uh, I kind of went oh I'm a bit out of position here and just like did a big kick I think before you see before you don't see like it's as I come into the camera on the overhead and I, I picked up a bit of momentum there and I just got got a bit of a lucky run I guess yeah does the team often put a lot of pressure on you or do they just let you kind of pick up the results that where you can yeah, I think it's like at that point I was a, obviously a younger rider and I think that maybe the expectations after the first year going quite well were expectations were maybe like slightly exaggerated. But um, yeah, not not a huge amount of pressure. I think I'd, I'd, I, would pl- I was planning on not doing that race, uh, finishing my first part of the season at Roubaix the weekend before, and then the team kind of tagged on two races. And I was under a bit of pressure because I'd, I'd kind of held my ground and not wanted to do the second race of the two because I kind of got something penciled in already. And um, yeah, so I was under a little bit of pressure from that sense, but obviously winning doesn't do any harm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I guess... It- kind of I ask this quite a lot and I get a a wide range of different answers but what for you is success yeah I mean probably that's changed as I've as as time's gone on like I think uh you know I kind of hoped I'd go into the pros and set the world alight but um you know everyone who's a little bit competitive kind of hopes things pan out that way but yeah I mean Right now, actually, I'm just happy if like uh, the form is good and like I can obviously I, I like to pick up results by myself, but also if I can just go to the races and, and be useful every every time I'm I'm at the race is also uh, is also satisfying for sure. Like just uh, doing a good job for the team or you know my own result or and these kind of things and like um, yeah, serving some purpose every every time every time I'm at the race. Cause I think the worst, the worst race days are when you, you, you've got a big travel, you get there and, and you just, you aren't, if you're having a bad day or, you know, you can't do anything, it's just feels like a big waste of time. Yeah, of course. Um, on that sort of utility point of view, um, it, it has been noted. Certainly I noticed that the Kerner Brussels Kerner, um, I don't know if you were racing it, um, but certainly your team was. Um, but the sort of team tactic seemed to be that you'd have lots of sprinters, but everyone would kind of sprint for themselves almost, um, which, I mean, was hugely successful because the team, it, in terms of UCI ranking points, picked up quite a lot from a, a seventh and an eighth or whatever placings they were. Like two top tens was, you know, equivalent to a win. I think I was... Fourth, Hugo was third, um, and Amory was uh, eighth, or some somewhere around there. Anyway, yeah. yeah uh, so uh, on, the, on the yeah, I mean that wasn't exactly the tactic going going into the day. Um, yeah, I, I it was supposed to be if it's all 
on for a sprint for the win that I'd be looked after. But then yeah, in, the, in the radio, that kind of slightly changed and got a bit more vague. Um, and yeah, and then kind of a little bit of confusion at the end. But anyway, I mean, like, like in the end, obviously the team was happy with the result. It was a bit frustrating to uh, to kind of be sat there thinking, oh, I had the legs to do bit better than that if someone could have got me out of the out of the hole into a spot to to sprint earlier because I was kind of in the position where I kind of had to back off to let my teammate into the into the run in, into the kind of like uh, where the wheels were moving on the right but at the same time I understand the team perspective of just you know like their their whole goal was to get enough points to to be in the world tour next year so you can see that side of it as well yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think as a strategy, it really worked and worked successfully. And I guess because you implemented it quite early in the year, um, it's paid dividends because other teams might maybe didn't catch on or didn't see that. Like, what is it like to ride for a team where the sort of the next year isn't so secured? Um, like, obviously, if you're on a if you're an Ineos Grenadier rider, you, you're like, well, they're going to be World Tour next year because they're going to pick up points everywhere. Arkea was one of the teams that was kind of constantly mentioned in those discussions of who's going to be World Tour next year. Yeah, I mean, obviously I didn't like uh, sign up going on like in a points chase here, not thinking, I wasn't even... I don't, and I don't even think from the beginning of that cycle the team was really thinking about it. I think the first year of that cycle they just scored some points and finished up. I think there was a at that point we were pretty close with Alperson maybe, and they were thinking, oh maybe we can get the first Pro Conti spot and get the invites to all the Grand Tours or whatever. And we ended up second anyway that year. And then we had like the the one day invites plus uh, you know whatever wild cards we got. And I think just in the second year, they realized it was a possibility with the whole three-year three year points tally. And then definitely this year was like uh, more of a focus. And in terms of the tactics, I'd sometimes say that worked out more just on a function of what riders were at the race and kind of these things rather than going into it, going, oh, all three guys do the sprint. It's just kind of just seemed to pan out pan out that way more than being like explicit yeah of course um and one thing i i hope i'm not misremembering like Arkea skipped the giro this year um and recently the the giro route has been announced for next year which features quite a tasty time trial on stage 20 um is that something you're looking at and going I'd really like to do that Grand Tour or are you hoping that the team kind of don't bother going or that if they do, you don't get picked? Well, assuming the paperwork goes through and everything's well told, they won't have a choice. They'll have to have to be there. Um, and obviously, if three Grand Tours in the year, of course, I'd like to ride one of them. Um, we don't know the route, routes from the Tour of the, the World to get, but... Um, like, uh, yeah, I mean, why not the Giro? Like, I just had a quick scan 
couple of articles yesterday and I saw uh, like a uh, possible eight sprint stages, which means about three and a half. But, um, but yeah, I mean, why not? Uh, I guess like next year is probably like not the big GC focus in the team. So all the grand tours are kind of pretty open to everyone. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I'll put my hand up straight for it or, or what the team's thinking, but uh, I think they're waiting on kind of all three routes, really. Yeah, of course. And obviously, without knowing what the routes are, is there a favoured Grand Tour for you that you like, are oh, really like doing that one or, you know, or one that you'd want to do just I generally? Mean, until this year, I'd only ever ridden the Tour and then this year I rode the Vuelta. Um so yeah, I'd like to at some point ride the Giro just to tickle all three off. But um, yeah, obviously the Tour is like the, the biggest deal or whatever. Um, quite enjoyed the Vuelta this year just because I was having a less hard time in the mountains than than I've previously had. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it was a bit more relaxed maybe it just, just as a function of the size of the roads in Spain in general, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, definitely like to do the Giro in some point. Yeah, of course. Um, and while we're kind of talking about future plans, like what does the future hold for you? Cause you, you signed a new contract. Is that two years? Yeah, I've got um, another two years on, uh, on the, on the contract now. Yeah. yeah so uh, I guess, for the next two years, what are your kind of ambitions that you'd like to get from from that contract? Yeah, I think like uh, I've probably on the paper gone past the the point where you're like a up and coming kind of rider. Definitely now because you're not up and coming after the age of nineteen anymore. But like, uh, I think cycling for me actually like it took in the pros anyway. It took me a long. It's taken me a long time to kind of get to where I need to be. And I think that's like a, a bit of a nature of like, uh, that's, that's maybe to do with like kind of my nature of being like very kind of, I guess, fast, which is a straightforward way of whatever. And, uh, it's just taken a long time for me to ride enough out of, of that out of myself that I'm kind of like, uh, surviving the climbs and, and not, not just having a hard time every race. So, um, so yeah, hopefully I can just keep improving in, in general. And yeah, I'd like to obviously pick off some wins, but yeah, I mean, that's, that would depend what the team's got in mind for me in terms of like, uh, lead outs or, or, or winning or, or, you know, like riding in another kind of support role. Yeah, of course. Um, and yeah, it is great to see, um, that you did get that that contract um i must admit the graphics is either on yours or someone else's that just confused me because they they wrote it as like prolong and then gassion as i who is that guy i've never heard of him he doesn't look like a real rider and then i realized it wasn't like a name Mm. um but like um just in terms of that like I guess, yeah, how does that work when you're in your final year of contract? Does it change how you ride at all? And, like, how early in the year did you know that it was going to be a, a re-signing? Um, 
I can't say it's ever it's changed drastically how I've ridden ever. Like I, I don't think I've got much more to pull out of the bag if that makes sense. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm near one on my contract. I'm just doing what I can to be the best as I can in that point. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it, this was on. This was pretty much. This was sorted pretty early in the year, and it, we, we were talking about it from the end of last season with the team. So I was like kind of pretty okay that I was in a good situation with, with this team. Um, and then obviously the question is just how long you want to wait to see what else is on the table elsewhere, because other teams aren't really going to come forward that early, you know, like in, in that point it's more getting the big names done. And then, then the rest of, kind of like the rest of 80% of their spots kind of pre before the end of the tour, maybe. And then I think now a few more teams are hanging on later always and seeing what the, what's, what they can kind of scoop up at the end of the year. So it's like, do you want to just get it sorted or do you want to wait till everyone's moving in July? And then, uh, then you kind of, if you still kind of not got what you want at that point, then you, then you're kind of in a bit of a, bit of a harder spot. Yeah, of course. Um, and I guess, like, mentally, does that help when you've signed? You just can relax a little because it's one less thing to think about. Yeah, I guess, like, definitely, maybe, maybe a bit of anxiousness creeps in if you if you're getting into the second part of the year. But I wouldn't say it's like a, a huge changer for me. I think, like. I think it's probably only like if it's, I mean, and I've only had it once where like really unsure, really late into the, into the year. And then that's kind of stressful, but I wouldn't say it's stress puts me in a different position in the bike race. Just maybe you're kind of a bit doubtful of like, uh, what the hell am I going to do next year if I'm not riding my bike, you know? um, But yeah, I can't say it's ever changed how I've raced really. No. Um, and speaking of kind of relaxing somewhat, um, what does the off season hold for you? Yeah. Um, so right now, like, I mean, for me this year, not much of a holiday. We're just going to have a few days in Stockholm. I think we'll leave, we're leaving this afternoon. Um, just oh, make wow. sure we need to not miss the flight, but, but yeah, no, um, just, but no big, no big sun, sunshine holidays. We've got a, got a little kid who keeps me pretty busy. So, uh, I, I can't really face six hours on the plane <laughs> with him on a return leg. And, uh, yeah, we, yeah, my partner's work. She, she's, uh, not able to take like two weeks off right now. So, uh, for the sake of five days in the sun, I can't face two times six hours of, uh, stopping and pulling other people's hair and, reaching over the seats and this stuff, I'd just be more than happy. Uh, 45, one hour, one hour flight and a uh, little trip and otherwise doing a bit of work around the house, putting some hooks up for, in the garage and these kind of like nothing jobs, but like uh, stuff which needs to be done. Oh, yeah. I know the ones where it's like, certainly for me, it's things that I've been told to do for about a year and reminded probably a few times and gone, I should probably do that, but never get round to it. Is it that sort of job? 
Yeah, exactly. Just those those bits and taking taking off some some boxes. Yeah, just general general uh, bits of bits of stuff. And we we just moved house as well. So it's been a few car trips and filling cars and boxes and all this all this kind of stuff. So so it's been yeah. a busy off season. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine. And how does like obviously I've never been a pro. Um, how does the whole kind of mechanics in terms of the decision of when do you sort of stop riding and when do you start training for next year is that left to you or does your coach tell you like oh on such and such a day you're to start getting back out on your bike um i don't know it's kind of kind of probably up to me i've never really I've never gone to the point where like someone's ringing me up every couple of days going bloody hell when you're gonna when you're gonna get back on your bike it's been like six weeks now but yeah I mean four weeks is pretty typical typical for me like uh now I'm like just over a weekend and I'm kind of like itching to do something not necessarily ride my bike but I think like I might after we're done here I might go for a jog just to sweat a little bit and start to feel a bit like uh you know missing missing the exercise somehow but um but yeah apart from that like uh no normally normally I end up doing about four weeks three weeks after three weeks i'm really itching to get back on the bike and then when i have to or like i think i have to kind of after four four and a bit weeks uh, then i can't be bothered anymore but like uh then i've settled into the kind of like couch couch lifestyle yeah yeah do you like do you completely switch off from cycling at that point or do you start watching things like cyclocross or the track whenever that's on on tv um i can say i don't watch that much bike racing in the last or haven't done for the last couple of years um in general but i did i did skip through the men's madison track champs uh yesterday evening because my team teammate won or my like road teammate won so i was like oh, i better better have a watch <laughs> yeah. apart from that like yeah i haven't uh, haven't been watching too much no well fair enough um i guess the final question from me is where like how can people follow you on things like twitter instagram etc um just to sort of keep up with you uh, on social media really yeah, I mean, there won't be much to keep up with. I'm not I'm not particularly active. Uh, Instagram, I don't know what the handle is, but I'm sure if you search Dan McClay, it will probably come up amongst some other Dan McClays. Um, Twitter, the same. Don't know exactly what the handle is. Yeah, you can look forward to about one post a quarter. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like, uh, yeah, not, not a huge huge social media person. And I think this is the first podcast I've ever done consciously knowing I'm doing a podcast. I think I may have done an interview, which ended up as a podcast before, but that's not, not hundred percent sure on that. That's uh, interesting. Actually, I, I did say that would be my final question, but one's just sprung to mind. Like you mentioned earlier that you read a couple of articles just to, about the, the Giro route. And from the sounds of it, you're not hugely active on, social media is that like do you try and avoid kind of social media and reading stuff about yourself or is that something you actually seek out in articles or 
yeah, just um, like, how, how do you cope with that side? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say like I actively avoid social media or like reading stuff about myself. I just don't have too much interest to post, you know, like, uh, you know, I, no one needs to know what I did today or what I got, you know, what I had for breakfast or blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I mean, certainly Instagram, it's kind of, it kind of seems like you just kind of open it and you flick through, but like, there's nothing really of substance or like, um, yeah, I kind of, I, I, I still open like Instagram and Twitter and stuff quite a bit and have a look what's there. And then I put it down and go like, oh, what did I waste my time with there? You know, like go down some rabbit hole, but like of nothingness. Um, I don't mind Twitter so much, like, uh, just kind of bit of breaking news or this or the other, but you know, like, uh, you can also go pretty far into kind of what, what kind of crap someone else wants to spurt into the world, you know, spew into the world. You know, there's a lot of kind of opinions you don't even need to need to hear, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, thank you so much for your time. Have a, a lovely jog and a lovely holiday. I hope that goes really well for you. And yeah, we'll have to speak again soon. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the jog's still provisional. We'll see. We'll see how that comes up. You've been listening to QuickLink Podcast, your daily microdose of pro cycling news and results. You can find us across social media at QuickLinkPod, or you can contact us by emailing show at quicklinksports.com. Share the show, and we'll be back with you tomorrow. Bye now.